Welcome back to the LED Project Podcast. My name is Kyle Krieger, and I'm super excited uh, for our guest tonight, Hannah Shrimp. Hannah, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Excellent. I'm excellent. We were just talking a little bit prior to recording that we are uh, getting towards the end of the school year, and I feel a little bit bad because it's going to be, by the time this goes out, we'll both be out of school, but uh, yeah. it's it's the last week in May. We're both going uh, through next week, but otherwise things are good. Things are great. So I appreciate you taking the time to have a conversation with me tonight. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. I'm super excited to be a part of this. Yeah, yeah. And this is actually kind of fun because we're actually, of all the people I've interviewed that weren't like people I knew prior, we're actually the closest. We're actually only about an hour apart. So yeah. you're, in, you're in the Twin That's Cities right. and I'm... So yeah. Are you, are yeah. You, know, you live in Wisconsin, but you went to school in Winona, which is right by my hometown in Wisconsin. Yeah. So. Yeah. So you, so you grew up in La Crosse, right? You said? Yeah. Which, yeah, I grew up in La Crosse. Which high school did you go to? La Crosse Central. Oh, devastating. <laughs> I, I coach basketball but, at the high school I work at, and, and La Crosse Central beat us this year. But, good. uh, well, they so good so I'm glad to hear they're winning again so yeah they well they had like last not this past season but the season prior they were the state champs and then this season they made it to like the semifinals at state again so they 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 destroyed us that's good because when I was in high school none of our sports were good so I'm glad to hear that they're doing better yeah awesome so you know, what we want to do is just be a platform with our podcast for teachers to just tell their stories and, and kind of shine a real positive light on the good things that are happening in classrooms. So could you tell us a little bit of your backstory and why you became a teacher? Yeah. So, um, you know, as I was kind of like reflecting on the question before, I was like, gosh, why did I become a teacher? And, you know, for me, I just had such a plethora of amazing teachers growing up um, in lacrosse and Um, I would say like really every single teacher I had was really great. Um, I would think like in third grade, I'm, I'm trying to think back. I think in third grade, I was like, wow, I really like my teacher this year. I would really like to become one. And so, you know, I always enjoyed school and I always enjoyed my teachers. So I just kind of kept going. And when my senior year of high school, I end up doing like I think it was like a work study or work from school or whatever the heck those were called. But um, I ended up um, basically being like an aide in my old kindergarten classroom. So that was super cool. And then um, from that moment on, I was like, I for sure want to be a teacher. So I went right into college, got my degree, and here I am today. <laughs> did we talk before? Where did you go to school? Oh, I went to Mankato State. Oh, so. that's right. I do, I do remember us talking about that because Mankato and Winona yeah. are rivals. Yeah. Yeah, they um, are. They are. Yeah, and I had. And then I had I had some I had some friends and knew some kids that went to just excuse me to Gustavus, which is right down the road from yeah. Mankato yes. too. So, Absolutely. all right. Um, could you do all right? So you said your third grade teacher or your kindergarten teacher. I guess the the next question we usually want to ask is. Could you describe your favorite teacher and why that person was? So I would assume be one of those two, maybe. Yeah, you know what's funny though. So like, okay, so my third grade teacher, Mrs. Riley, she was amazing. Like from what I remember, we did like a lot of projects, and um, she just was really lively in class. But honestly, my mo- like the te- my favorite teacher I've ever had was actually my pre-calc teacher in high school, which is crazy. Um, just because like <laughs> the class was really hard, but. 
he made it so fun and he was so personable. Like he was definitely the teacher, I think in high school for me that built relationships with students. Um, I felt like I didn't always feel that way in high school and middle school. So he was definitely the most, had the biggest impact in my life for sure. And you know, what's funny too, is I can't remember exactly what his name is, but he was really great. <laughs> that's, that's understandable with the cut. Uh. I remember I took pre-calc my junior year because I hadn't, like, declared what I was going to do because I went to Winona for social studies. So okay. when, so my senior year when I was like, all right, I'm going to go to Winona and I'm going to go into the social studies program, my counselor was like, you know, you don't have to take calculus if you're going into social studies. And I was like, okay, dropped. So I dropped it right. and, I, and I, I picked up jazz band. So And now I... <laughs> No, I have high school kids and I'm like in, and I have a study hall and these kids are in pre-calc and even like algebra two. And I'm just lost. I'm like, I got, I have no idea yeah. what you're doing right now. Yeah. I don't know for me. I don't know why I ended up taking pre-calc, but like, I just like kept, I don't know. Like I said before, I really enjoyed school. So I just kind of kept pushing myself and like, I didn't do that great in pre-calc. I think I got like a C minus or C or C, um, and that was definitely one of my like worst grades in high school, but he really tried hard to make sure students like me got the support. And, you know, he also supported me emotionally as well, which was great. So he was, he was a really great teacher. Nice. Nice. All right. So I'd like you to finish just a few of these phrases um, just with whatever comes to mind. So the value of a great teacher is. Uh, I love this one. So I think the the great value of a teacher is that we are always a constant presence and a positive influence in many of our students' lives. Right, right. And I, and I just come back to what you said. I mean, and the story you tell of your pre-calc teacher is awesome that even though you can't, like, remember his name, he still mm -hmm. had that impact on you. So, yeah, all right. Absolutely. The hardest part of teaching is? Uh, I bet this is everyone's answer. For me, as always, because I have... 29 children in my classroom I actually started out with 31 but it is I know it's insane so it's meeting the needs of every single student in my classroom but also making sure they feel loved and seen every single day that is like something I think about like did I say hi to Valerie today or did I say hi to Joel today it's like you just never know because you have so many students in front of your face every single day <laughs> yeah and that's and that's something that that I struggle with too, because in our in our alternative program, there are tw we have twenty five. Well, well, actually, we only have twenty now because our seniors are gone. But we had twenty five to start, and it's you know they're in there for a variety of reasons that you mm -hmm. know the regular school just didn't work for them, and mm -hmm. and it's it's hard even with that small number in the high school to to yeah. um, to make sure that they're being seen, and because you know they're they're our kids deal with a lot, like a lot of them have you know. <laughs> they have real lives outside of school that, mm -hmm. that require their attention. But even with the high school students that are like, that I just see whether through my study hall or I know through coaching or I, it's, it's really hard to, to really make sure that they're all seen and, and doing that. But I, I think it's something that we, at least I strive for. I hope we all would strive for. So. Yeah, I know. And I, same for me, like, you know, working at our charter school um, and just like what our expertise is, is that the majority of my students are also ESL and low poverty. And so it's just like the, the differentiation that has to happen in my classroom. Some teachers are like, how do you do it? I mean, I've definitely perfected that over the years, but it's just insane the levels I have in my classroom. So it's just something I always strive for. 
you know, I try really hard. I don't always do it, but I know it's always in the back of my mind. So that's the best thing I can do for my kids, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. So the one thing you wish parents knew about teaching. Yes. The one thing that I wish parents knew about teaching, and I wish I could literally hold their faces while I'm saying this, is that we are always trying our best, even when we make mistakes. I feel like sometimes parents can be really quick to judge you. Um, when you really honestly made an honest mistake. Um, so just them to realize that we really do try hard and that we do love their children. Yeah, I think, and I think I'm, I'm not a parent. Like I'm, I'm not a parent. I got no kids, no wife. So I don't have like that, that direct experience, but I mm -hmm. think from what from the parents I know and parents I've talked to throughout the years, cause I taught seven years in Houston I think parents would say the same thing about us. Like they just wish that, right. that I, I think if we could all just come to the understanding like that, we're all really trying the best we can. I yeah, think. I know. It's just, it's just insane. Like, um, you know, when I talk to parents on the phone, just to like try to alleviate like some of like the tension between us, I try to be like, you know, I'm on your side. Um, I want to do what's best for your kids. So if you feel like I'm doing something wrong, please don't be afraid to be honest with me because I want to make sure that you're happy and that your child is happy. So it's some things I've like changed my verbiage over the years right. as well. Um, but I mean, I seem like I'm getting better at it, but I just feel like there's always a parent that like just hates you and you're like, but I, I want you to like me. <laughs> yeah. I, th I think we could say the same thing about the kids. Cause I just, I, I have, I have this study hall that's got a bunch of good kids, but you know, it's the end of the year and they're just, it's like herding cats and, Every single, it's, 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 I'm at this point now where every time I say something to someone, the response is, well, you didn't say that to this person. Yeah. And I'm just kind of like, well, no, because I'm, I'm talking to you. I'm talking about right. you. And, and this kid wanted to argue with me when he's like, yeah, I bet I've done work in study hall one out of every nine days or 10 days. Mm. I was just like, and you're still going to argue with me that I'm wrong to ask you to do something. Right. So. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's so frustrating. <laughs> yeah. All right. So the most rewarding part of teaching is? Oh my gosh. The most rewarding. I'll have to think about this. Um, okay. For, okay. Well, for me, obviously is like seeing success with students, but, um, I just think for me personally is, you know, I always have a small portion of my classroom that's quite low. I mean, a, as a sixth grade teacher, I have some students that are reading at a first to second grade level. It's pretty crazy. Um, so for me, just to see them grow. So I, you know, I've had kids in front of me that didn't even know how to properly sound out a word in sixth grade. So it's, it's really rewarding for me to see that love for reading blossom um, and for them to feel successful while they, while they read a text. Um, I just think that, especially for as a sixth grade reader, when you get up to that level and you have these expectations, but you're at a different level, it can be really disheartening for that student. So just to see that change in attitude towards reading or really in any um, content area, but to see that change and to see them excited about it really makes my heart really happy. Yeah, you know, and, and when I taught in Houston, the majority, like, you know, 60% of our kids were ESL, you know, because they're from... Mm -hmm. Um, Central America and the, the lesson that I had the hardest time learning was the difference between a kid's conversational English and academic or reading English and I, it took me a year or two to really like understand that just because I can have a conversation with this kid doesn't mm -hmm. mean that when I hand him something or her something that they can read it. 
Yes, that is like actually it's love that you said that because that's an area that me and my PLP focused on this year um, as like a middle school teacher. We're really working on that understanding the difference between a conversational piece and that academic piece and how we can foster that in the classroom and how we can see that growth happen um, versus like just assuming that they're that they're okay because a lot of times they're not and then once you get those test scores back they're not and so it yeah it's interesting and it's it's hard it's really hard oh yeah Mm -hmm. but you know we we try to do the best all right so so being that you're in charter school and you you have you know low income and esl students what what do you see as the the state of education right now in america Yes. Oh my gosh. This is such a, like a hot topic for me and I'm like super passionate about it. And I love talking about it with people. Um, for me, especially with students who are ESL, um, I just feel like we expect a lot out of students when, um, the tests they have to take don't measure them correctly. You know, if we think about our standardized tests, they're all based around a middle-class white person, um, where, you know, all my students are Hmong. And so Mm. they lack background knowledge. They, um, you know, they lack just like academic words because it's not said to them every single day. And so a lot of these tests are just set up for failure and then set them up for failure. And then on top of that, you know, my job is based off their results. And so it's like, I can try really hard and I know I did everything right, but because of these tests that, you know, the state makes us do or the government makes us do it, it, it's, it's hard and it's disheartening. It's hard, disheartening for my students too, to say like, I know I worked really hard and then you show them their test score. They're like, but why? But I worked really hard. So yeah. that's one area that drives me nuts. And then um, at, for every teacher really. And then another thing too, which is a lot more current, but um, you know, when DeVos talked about that classroom and saying that it's like this sterile four wall area that kids walk into every single day, when in reality, it's not, I mean, I mean, I'm sure there are some classrooms that have desks lined up and like, it's just a teacher preaching at them. But I would say the vast majority are really working hard to bring their classrooms come alive. And especially for me, like I try really hard um, to create a classroom where my students are excited to be a part of it. And for me to wake up excited about it too. So that's another area. I just feel like that the perception of a classroom is, is different than what is actually happening inside of our classrooms every single day. Yeah, and you know when we when we ask this question, it's always you know some variation of the same answer that it you know the the perception is super negative, but and that's what I loved about when the Betsy DeVos put that thing out, and I I scrolled through my Instagram, and there were literally hundreds of posts that were like that had tagged her to show her what was really going on, and I was like, oh my god, this is fantastic. Yeah, I was like livid about that just because it like. For me, it, like, it hurt my feelings. It's like, I work really hard to create this really cool classroom. And I know that, you know, you honestly search the hashtag set the stage to engage on Instagram. There's 18,000 posts of people showing the world what they're doing in their classroom. Now, obviously, 18,000 is not a lot compared to, like, everybody in the, you know, in the United States of America. But it still shows that classrooms are alive. And even for me, too, like, I was so upset about it. And we were actually, I was just teaching arguments during that time when she posted that. And I brought that up to my students and they were upset about it. You know, we talked about, you know, we really broke apart what her statement said and like what types of um, logical falsies she was having. And just, we really broke it apart for like an educational piece, but like it really made them upset because it's, they like, this feels like a home in here. And this, you know, we do all these fun things. This is not what my classroom looks like. 
you know, and I've been in other classrooms I don't like like this, so why is she saying that? And so it made them really, it made them upset and made me upset up to, uh, excuse me, it made me upset as well, so. Yeah, so, I mean, I mean, but that's that's just kind of the thing coming in, and that's what we really are tr- kind of striving to do with the podcast is just to be another platform for teachers to, you know, originally we wanted to, you know, just help teachers to be like, hey, you know, it's not as bad as it seems, but it, we really want to be a spotlight for all the, like, awesome things that are going on because I think the more the more the perspective changes where, you know, whether it's parents or whether it's government officials and start to see, like, hey, this is what really is going on in classes, mm-hmm. I, I think that's when it starts to change because we were having, I don't remember who I was having this conversation with, but it's like, when every state can do something different with education, it's going to be hard to really pass sweeping legislation that's going to change right. it for the better. But we as teachers, right. we can all you know band together and really be like, hey, this is this is the reality of what's going on, not what not what you say or what you think. And I just loved how many people like that stock photo that she posted. How many people found it and and tagged it. Oh, yeah, I, it, yeah, it was, uh, it was really great to see that response. And it made me feel really proud to be a part of a community that was willing to do that, you know, to really voice their opinion. Um, yeah, it was, it was a very interesting time, especially with other events that were happening um, in our country. And so it was just like one more thing that I just feel like our government is failing right now with, I think the government is failing more than we are really, because it's just like, they're making weird choices for us. And it's just, they're making choices for us without actually like conferring with us first. So it, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So to kind of get into a little, little more, um, you know, one of the things we talked about prior and one of the things I've seen with your, your, um, Instagram especially is, is the value you put on being authentic yourself. So, you know, what is, what is the difficulty? Let's start with that. What is the difficulty of, of being authentic when it comes to being a teacher? Um, you know, for me, gosh, this was like one of the hardest questions I feel like for me to like really reflect on because, you know, I really thrive on being authentic in front of my students. I think it's important, but I think for me, what I struggle with most is like not being understood. Um, even being like judged by other coworkers or colleagues, just because, you know, you might do something in your classroom that is a little bit more raw than what they think is appropriate. Um, and so just being judged in that area. And even, you know, honestly, like on the Instagram community, some of us are so authentic with, the things that are happening in your classrooms that can be really hard because you're worried that someone's going to say you're not doing this right or why would you ever do something like that so it's just it can be really difficult just because we're in such a judgmental world right now right but but you know to that point what's what's the importance though of of that when it comes to your relationship with your kids and how you teach them um well for me you know I want them to realize that I'm a real human and that I go through real events just like they do and you know even growing up for myself I went I've been through a lot of the same types of situations that my students are going through now and so I want them to realize that I'm not like this robot standing in front of them every single day preaching at them I'm a real person who has worries and has bad days and has good days and you have days where I'm really excited to be at work and there's days where I don't want to be there and so I'm not afraid to say to my kids, like, hey, you know, I didn't sleep well last night or I had a really bad night last night. I'm really crabby today. Can we just, like, work together to have a good day together? And so I think just being real with them 
always. And even with the stuff that's happening in our, our country too, I'm not afraid to have those hard conversations with them and help, you know, have us learn together through it and to make sure that we're always, um, up on our current events and understanding what's going on in our communities and in our country. So I'm never afraid. Sometimes it can be really scary. Sometimes I have to swallow a little bit of you know, fear, but, um, I think it's really important. I think that my students appreciate it too. And Minneapolis, the Minneapolis-St. Paul area has one of the biggest Hmong populations in the country, doesn't it? Yes. Yep. I think it's us and then California, I believe, too. So, I mean, is is there a neg- I'm trying to think of the right way to phrase the question. Do you have kids that confuse Hmong kids with other you know, ethnic groups and kind of stereotype them with them. And the question kind of becomes like, you know, Muslim is kind of the, the one that gets stereotyped the most, but do they ever get confused or get kind of boxed in with those people? Um, gosh, that is such a good question. Um, you know, I don't know if they really they really do, you know, the monk community, you know, I, I, so I teach to kind of explain my classroom. I have 29 kids and I think I have five students who are, I'm trying to think here, five students who are African-American and the rest are monk. And then I think out of our entire school, we have two children who are white, like we have, and we have a thousand students. So it's mostly students of color. Um, but you know, the monk community is the, the nicest, most kind, just most generous people I've ever met. And um, I don't know, I don't feel like there has been situations that have brought a stereotype towards them at all. So I don't know if I know the right answer for that, to be honest. Like, I know that my kids are wonderful, but yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I, I mean, I think that they, I think that every, every culture has their things. And um, for me, I've never like seen it or heard it myself to have an opinion about it, but I'm sure, I'm sure there is. Yeah. Unfortunately. You know, and, and the hard part for the hard part for me was, you know, I grew up small town, Wisconsin, you know, so I went to school with, I, there was one African American student in my entire mm-hmm. schooling and maybe mm-hmm. like five to 10 Hispanic students, mm-hmm. you know, and then I moved to Houston where it's, the schools I taught at were 90% Hispanic and the other 10% African-American. And now I'm back in small town, Wisconsin again, and I'm back with, you know, 99% white kids. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's hard to hear, you know, the way they talk and and some of the stereotypes they use and, and just the, the difference with, I mean, Texas is a very conservative state, but Houston Mm -hmm. tends to lean liberal. And now I'm Mm -hmm. back in a place where it's, primarily conservative and the kids have had no problem talking about conservatism and and there was a lot of backlash after Parkland at my school for the kids who just wanted to they they wanted to just do the the walkout and there was a ton of backlash Mm -hmm. yeah like I know that for me I mean like I said I teach you know just like I teach 12 year olds so um I don't always hear things like I said I'm pretty sure you know I'm sure there's things that happen but um, you know, one thing I, again, I do in my classroom too, is that I, I try to be very culturally sensitive and also educate my students on what's proper and why we don't say things. And, you know, um, just to make sure they feel not only supported in the, excuse me, like what I'm trying to say here, I'm trying to think here, my mind is going a mile a minute right now. Um, I want to make sure they feel that I understand where they're coming from at a cultural base, 
Um, but I also want them to have empathy for their other classmates as well, just because it's important, I think, especially living in Minneapolis. Um, there's a lot of things happening to our African-American students and young adults that I want to make sure that not only do my African-American students feel supported by me, um, but they all, I also educate the rest of my students on what is happening and making sure they feel supported and, and loved as well. So, Yeah, and I, I think that's one of the things that's been tougher about the conversations around my school is there is such a, you know, it's, it's hard to have empathy for people that you don't have direct contact with, that, you know, people that you can't really talk to. So that's been one of the, one of the challenges that we've had, but it's just, yeah. A, another thing that's really cool about my school too, is just because we have such a high population among students is that it, it is such a great community in my school. It's, it's really fun to see. And um, we do a lot of things that support the Hmong community as well. And so, um, you know, my superintendent's always trying to improve the, the, the Hmong community within, you know, different areas of Minneapolis and Brooklyn Park and Brooklyn Center. And so it's really cool to be a part of that and to, you know, even be an outsider to see these traditions being carried through not only from home but into school and be a part of that. So Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so continuing on with, you know, what you were saying about how you really try to strive to make school fun and interesting, could you I'm learning more about this 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 phenomenon of classroom classroom transformations. Yes. And you had a bunch on there, but I really want you to talk about the Mario World one you did because I thought it was phenomenal. Yeah, that one was so like I was you know thinking about this the other day. I was like that was by far the, the hardest one I've ever done. Um, you know, it, there's there's a lot that goes into it, and so you know, I'm really thankful. Obviously, I don't know if you know of Hope King. Do you know who Hope King is? I sure hope mm-hmm. you do. Yeah. Okay, good. Because obviously, she's you know really you know the the queen of them. She's the one that kind of made them a thing. I feel like for other teachers, and so you know, she did this. I think a couple of years ago, or maybe she does it every year. But you know, I saw that concept. I was like, you know, that's really cool. And my kids really like video games, so. And I love Mario World, you know, growing up in the in the 90s. So I was like, I have to do this, you know? <laughs> so I was like, I have to do this. And, you know, it just turned into that a really, really amazing day for my kids. So even for myself, it was just an exciting four hours of my life. So how much how much time do you think went into the prep for that? You're probably gonna think I'm crazy. So just to set it up, it was four hours. For sure. Like, I think okay. it's a little over the <laughs> Just to and, up the, the, the decor. And, and I'm, like, I'm so, but the <laughs> thing with me is I'm so impressed by the people that are committed to doing that and, and doing those things. It's just, like, I wish, you know, the kids, you could tell them it took you four hours to set it up, but the kids wouldn't appreciate it. I, I guess with all those, that's really the thing that I look at. I, I just wish the kids could appreciate, like, how much of your time actually went into making yeah. that that event. Right. You know, and I would say the vast majority of them do. They really know how much time I put into things, and they know that I work really hard on it. But you're always going to have that one kid or that, those two kids. They're just like, eh, you, can, you, don't, you will never impress me. And so it's just you have to, like, tune those kids out and say, whatever, I'm doing it for the rest of the kids then, you know? And so – you know, to me, I love it. Like, I love prepping for it at home. I love making it. You know, a lot of times I get my husband to do work for me or, uh, you know, get friends to come in and help me. 
But the Mario one I did all by myself. And I think that's why it took me so long to set one up. And it had the most decor. It was insane. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know how you got, like, all of that chart paper up to cover the walls by yourself and did all that. I feel like... <laughs> Yeah, that's my, like, biggest question I get on Instagram, like, how do you hang everything up? And, you know, I have, like, those tiles on the ceiling that, I don't know what they are, but you can stick a pin in them, and it just sticks right out there. I don't know what it's made out of, but I can, you know, it's just a tablecloth from the Dollar Tree, and, you know, I spent, well, I think it took 25 tablecloths to cover my entire room, and so I just got a ladder, I'm just like, dink, 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 all the way up, and I think it took me 45 minutes just to hang up that, and that was the easiest part of it all, honestly. Oh, my goodness. All right. So, so to, a, to another activity that I saw on your Instagram that I thought was really awesome, mm-hmm. you, you had the kids do a Shark Tank uh, activity. So could you talk about, you know, with that, I mean, that's a very challenging activity. So what is the importance of, of having those challenging activities? Um, well, you know, the whole point of, like, transformations or, like, these um, – mini transformations, whatever people call them, is is bringing in that engagement. But the reason why you're bringing that engagement is because you're asking a lot of, out of these kids. And so if you think about it, if you put like a packet in front of your kid's face while they're sitting at a desk, they're going to be like, no, this sucks. Like, I don't want to do this. They're not going to do, they're going to give you 50% of the effort that they can, you know, they can actually do. And so the fact just like putting up some tablecloths and like putting some sharks behind like that I traced out during my prep. Sorry for the mix-up here. We had a call drop. My internet dropped while we were recording with Hannah. So after a little technical difficulty, here's us picking the conversation back up. Well, now, these expectations I have for my students, especially during any transformation, but especially Shark Tank, um, they were, you know, very rigorous. And I had high expectations for my students. Um, and for that project, they had to memorize um, an entire pitch plus, um, you know, business information about, like, you know, like, their profits or um, how they design their product or anything like that. And so they had to not only memorize that, but also be prepared if the shark decided to ask that question. They may not have. They might ask all of them. They might only ask three. And so I wanted to make sure that I created an environment that made them want to try even harder, um, and especially in front of three adults they never met before. You know, I had my husband and two of my friends come in, and so they, you know, it was really high energy and, and very intense for my students, and so I wanted to create a space that was super fun and made it more um, of, like, an activity versus something that was very, like, super scary, and all these people are staring at them asking these super hard questions. So. Absolutely, and I, and I loved, like, some of the you know, some of the videos you posted on your Instagram where, like, the kid must have, like, made Velcro gloves in a Velcro football or something like that. And I was yeah. like, oh, my God, that's so fantastic that, you know, whoever got – one of your sharks got up and actually, you know, played catch with the kid. I thought that was really a really cool way to go about that. Yeah, and I was – you know, I – you know, to be honest, going into this, you know, I've never done it before, and I don't know if you were aware of her at all, but her name is the sweetest teacher – Sweetest teacher, she's on Instagram. She's the one that mm-hmm. created the actual like product that I use, the outline for everything. So she's amazing. Um, but you know, for this, you know, she's kind of just like, do what you want with it. And so she's like, you can have sharks come in. I did. It was really cool. But it's up to you. And so you know, inviting these, inviting my my husband and my two friends, I was like, I have no idea how this is gonna go. And especially you know, the one gentleman you saw standing up, he is a financial advisor. And so 
he's super intelligent. He actually gets how to evaluate a business. And if you're asking for a certain amount of money, he, like, understands what that means. And so um, he was just having a blast with this entire thing. And as you can see, he was in his photos. He was just, he was super engaged with the students and the kids just loved him. And especially because his last name was Mr. Or his last name is Bunny. And so my kids just got a hoot out of him and just, you know, always picked him over me, which is annoying. But um, it, it was really fun to see. And to see, you know, my, my husband and my two friends had such a great time with my students. That's awesome. So, um, yeah. you know, and like you said, we've talked about the relationships and the authenticity that you have with your kids. So how has, you know, building relationships, you know, over the course of the entire year, how does that allow you to create, you know, like you said, that environment where you can engage your students in challenges and, and they really rise to the occasion and they want to work harder? You know, relationships are key, and I feel like there's a lot of teachers that are that have the same opinion. It's like if you do not build those relationships with your students, they're not going to do anything for you. I mean, it's like it, it's like for anything, like your friends. If you don't build a relationship with your friend, you're not going to share private information for, with them or want to hang out with them or anything like that. And so, same thing goes in your classroom. You have to um, really understand where your students are coming from and making sure that you're giving them the opportunities where they each can shine in their own way. And so just building those relationships is just critical, especially when you are setting these high expectations in these types of events, such as uh, classroom transformations. Right, right. And I just, and it's, it's hard, you know, because I was telling the story earlier about, you know, the kid who was frustrated with me that I was asking him to do something in study hall. And he's a kid who I have a, a decent relationship um, mm-hmm. but not a great one, but I, I know those kids that, um, who I've built the best relationships with, they might be frustrated with me when I, you know, try to challenge them or I try to push them, but they never really, mm-hmm. they really understand that I, I'm doing it out of place of love and a, a place that really, um, um, let, you know, they, they know I'm doing it for the right reasons, I guess is what I wanted right. to say. Right, yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, I have a, one student in my classroom. She's, you know, she's always the hardest student in every class at her school. And, you know, she's part of my classroom for a reason. It's just because, you know, I can, you know, I have high expectations for my students, but I also know how to get on their level. And so, you know, I built this relationship with her, and she's obviously gotten in trouble this year with, you know, other things as well. Um, but she knows that if I'm, you know, if I'm talking to her, we're having conversations, a serious conversation, and, Nine times out of ten, she will fix it and do better. And so the only reason why she does that or why I get that out of her is because I've built that relationship and that trust with her. Right, right. So um, I, I love, what's your Instagram handle? It's Mrs. S. Classroom Craziness. Okay, so why, why, why do we as teachers need to, to kind of embrace that craziness? Because obviously, like you said, with Shark Tank, and with classroom transformations and all things, those things kind of at times can invite chaos. So mm-hmm. how, how do you deal with that, and, and what do you think is the importance of really embracing that and allowing your students to do that? You know, what's funny is it's taken me almost five years to get to where I am today because I was such a teacher that was like, I like order, I like quiet, I like things done my way. And, you know, once I kind of discovered these transformations, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I can make my classroom more fun and more engaging. And so when I did one, it was my first one I did last year. It was so 
so hard for me to let go. Um, but what I realized that once I let go, my kids are actually having more rich conversations with each other and that I'm actually giving them more trust to do more independent work or group work. Um, and so if you embrace that crazy, you're actually going to get better results than when if you're like a strict, you know, this go my way or the highway kind of teacher. And so as I've let go over the last you know, year, year and a half, I've just seen so much more growth in academics. I've seen more growth just in like personal relationships with my students and even like relationships within each other, like as peers. And so um, it's been really cool to see that within my students, especially with, you know, the monk community. They tend to be very, they're very quiet people. And so to see them come alive and have these awesome conversations, but have such energy in the classroom, it, it's been really cool to, to see that crazy um, benefit my students a lot. Right, right. And that's, and I think even, and I'm sure you would agree that even still when you're, you're embracing the crazy, there are still the moments where I'm just like, oh, this is too much, this is too far, kids are out of control. But yep. the more, the more oh I can kind of yeah. let them go and, and allow them to do their thing, the, the, the better off I usually am. Right, yeah, and it's, it's funny you say that, because I had, I did this, I wish I never posted, because it was just such a, I did this, like, haunted house one, and it was the first time where I didn't, like, do, I don't, like, really do stations, per se, but I have, like, kind of, like, a structured step-by-step thing when I do transformations, and I, like, let them kind of do a free-for-all, and I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, what am I doing, what am I doing, my kids, I don't know what's happening here, and so... It was definitely like a learning curve for me. I'm glad I did that one because then I was like, okay, my kids can do it, um, but it's it's been it's been hard for me <laughs> for sure. So right, and I and I just feel like you know we talked earlier about how you know how kids are measured with testing, and you know it doesn't always reflect their hard work. And I, as much as I hate to to you know to quote the movie Footloose. But, you know, there's okay. the, there's the scene in Footloose where he's like, if, if we don't start trusting our kids, how will they ever become trustworthy? And I just always think of that when it comes to kids. You know, if we don't give them opportunities to really get outside their comfort zone and we don't trust them to do the things and, you know, trust that they're capable, it we're never really getting them to where they need to be. Right. And, uh, like, in nine times out of ten, especially this year, I realized even during, like, that haunted house one, I was, like, I feel like crazy but they were all on task they were all doing their job they were just like talking and they're all talking at one time and so in like when I walk up to them I'm like oh wait you are talking academically right now I'm gonna just back up then and go away back to my little hole you know so it's just yeah you have to let them they you have to let them do this type of stuff but also understand that there is going to be coaching moments and that's okay you know there's gonna be times where you're gonna realize that this does not work, I'm going to fix it the next time, and you can just reflect at the class, and that's okay. And so I always just, anytime I do something, I reflect what worked well and what didn't, and, and what can I do better the next time. I really think through all my transformations I've done this year that, you know, my Mario World one went the best, and that one was like a free-for-all. And before it didn't go well, but I realized mistakes I made and, and made it better. And so every time I do a transformation, it gets better and better and better. Right. That's awesome. So... Definitely want to be respectful of your time and, you know, allow you to do whatever else you got to get going. So we'll, we'll kind of wind down the questions. So, so these next, this next set of questions um, can be answered, you know, via, you know, in, from a teacher's perspective or just a life perspective. So the first question is, what was the best advice you've been given and who was that person that gave it to you? Okay. So last fall, I was 
fall, I actually attended Ron Clark Academy, which is my dream, basically. So, which is, if you can ever get a chance to visit that school, you should. Um, but I was a part of Kim Bearden's classroom for one session, and she really, she from this quote that has stuck with me, and I think will stick with me for the rest of my career, is this is what she said, and it's like super powerful. And she said, if you were walking down a hallway and you were allowed to choose any classroom to be a part of, would you choose your own classroom? And so when I, when I heard that, I was like, oh, my God, would I choose my own classroom? Like, if I was a child and I could choose any classroom, would I choose mine? And so that really stuck with me, and, and I think that's another major reason why I really amped up on these transformations and, you know, the expectations and the activities we do in my classroom because I want my kids to come to school every single day and say, oh, my gosh, I love being a, class, being a part of this classroom, and I love what I do here, and I'm proud to be a, a student in this classroom as well. Yeah, that's great advice. Holy cow. Yeah. yeah. That's, I mean, and yeah, that's a question you could always of, ask yourself and, oof. Yeah, like when I said, when she said that, I just had instant goosebumps. It's like, and like a little bit of like teary eyes, just like, would I choose my own classroom? Would I? And it's just, it really reflect. it makes you reflect on the kind of teacher you are and what you can do better. You know, because you, you have 29 kids in your classroom or 30 kids or whatever it may be, and, like, you have to make sure that they enjoy school because, especially in sixth grade, it gets school gets harder and harder and harder academically and, you know, social-emotionally, and so I want to make sure that they're part of a classroom that they love and they're part of. Right. Okay. So, um, and this is broad, but advice you would give to a struggling teacher? Yeah, so I actually do this a lot. So I'm actually the lead teacher at my school, so I work with almost every single staff member, and um, we typically have a couple new teachers every single year, and so this is kind of like what I say to anybody, or any even a veteran teacher. I just always say, like, remember your why. Um, think about why you went into this profession first and foremost, and refocus on that. Um, take time for yourself. Um, don't be afraid to say no, and always, always ask for help if you're struggling. Yeah, I think that was, that was the, the being able to say no was probably the biggest struggle that I went through as a teacher was, you know, because they, being that I was an athlete growing up and, you know, I love sports, I, if, if you hit me with the be a team player, I was always going to say yes. Um, mm-hmm. and, I, and I think that put me in a spot where I was being taken advantage of a lot. So I think mm-hmm. that's, that's really good advice. Yeah, it's, it's hard. It's just, in this profession, it's so draining. And, you know, uh, I always, even me, even with the fun classroom that you see on Instagram, there's still days I'm like, why the heck did I choose this profession? It's really hard to get up today, but I always remember my why and my kids and that I'm there for them and that I really do enjoy what I do every single day. All right. So the best thing you've read in the last 12 months? Oh, 
Or you could, or you could just say, you know, maybe your, maybe your favorite book all time, or a book that you really would recommend to other people. Okay, well, you can't ask this question because I want to say Harry Potter. I mean, duh, everyone should read Harry Potter. If you haven't yet, you need to. <laughs> oh. All time favorite for sure. I mean, all time favorite. That, and I also love the Hunger Games. As like, you know, like a teenage teacher, I love. Hunger Games so much, and I love teaching it too. <laughs> awesome. So, awesome. Yeah. Well, you know, so, after. If you're somebody who's listening to this, you have to read Harry Potter. So, if you haven't, make sure you do. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm probably not going to read Harry Potter. You would be lucky to get me to watch all the Harry Potter movies. What? You're insane. You have no, I'm totally kidding. I would never read Harry Potter. And then they get to book three, and they can't put it down. So, right. Hmm. I actually, though, uh, uh, my my sister uh, has two little boys. One is about to be three, and one's about to be one. And this past Halloween in our hometown, we had like, I think there was like thirteen of us that all dressed up as Harry Potter um, characters and did our little local business yeah. tr- trick or treat. And I was I was Dobby the house elf. I think is his name. Yes. Yes, he's important. Yeah, I I didn't feel very important with these big ears and like. <laughs> A torn up bed sheet as a robe. It was. Uh, I know. It was awkward. But he is a really important character. So if you read the books, you would know that, and you would be proud to be him. Yep, absolutely. So, all right, <laughs> proudest your proudest accomplishment to date. Um, for like professionally, oh my gosh, I so when I came into my school, um, like an area that they wanted to grow a lot in was. Reading. And so my, I have such a big passion for reading, but I kind of came in and I would say my first year, I was, didn't know exactly what I was doing, but I did really well my first year. And so ever since then, you know, I've been really perfecting or helping the school perfect their reading program. And we, this year is the best year we've ever done in reading. And so it's really cool to be a part of that and know that um, I really steered the school in the right direction to, to reach those goals. Awesome. Well, before I ask you the last question, I just want to thank you again for taking some time. I really um, enjoyed the conversation. It's been quite entertaining and quite fun. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. So, all right, last question. What would you like your legacy to be? Okay, so for my students, you know, if they look back and think about Mrs. Shrimp 10 years from now, I want them to always you know, have that thought of she really loved me and she always made me feel really, really important. And professionally, um, I want, you know, if somebody looks at my career and says, what did Hannah do? What I want them to think is she always thought outside the box and inspired others along the way. Awesome. Hannah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yes, thank you. This is so much fun.